This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to an episode of the Clear Jets podcast where it was Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, a week removed from the draft. Have you recovered? Have you recovered from Joe Douglas's masterpiece? Uh, not quite. Not quite. Because we're still out here having all these strong reactions to everything we're seeing. I mean, jersey numbers come out <laughs> and we're absolutely losing our minds analyzing those. You know, we see Sauce Gardner and Brees Hall, my favorite draft pick in the building. Uh, at the practice at the practice facility and just everything is so exciting and there's just so much hype behind it um, we say it every single year that we're going to try to manage our expectations and you know because we've been through so much but we're back again the hype is back i'm excited and i can't wait for september to get here so to answer your question no i've not recovered yet how much time have you spent watching uh Brees hall highlights and have you have you officially uh walked back your kind of initial reaction which i should point out was not as strong as some of the other reactions we saw from some of the nerds at pff and some of the other writers on twitter where they were criticizing the jets for trading up to take a running back you you mentioned it you mentioned that you know maybe that's not what we expected to happen. It did seem like you were still really happy with the player and you didn't agree with some of the other stuff that was said on Twitter, but uh, how much have you kind of shifted your opinion of, of Brees Hall and how you view maybe drafting in the future? Cause this is kind of a similar reaction you had to Elijah Moore last year. Yeah. I mean, last year I had a very similar reaction. I wasn't anticipating Elijah Moore didn't study him as much of as much as some of the prospects at other positions they uh, could have taken there, such as, you know, Awusu Koromoa, the linebacker, Tevin Jenkins, a lineman. Um, and then this year, again, I, I don't think anybody was talking about Brees Hall uh, throughout this process as a potential target for the Jets, but there he is as the pick in round two. So I, we really need to, going forward, just, you know, make these mock drafts based on the talent and, you know, kind of try to avoid creating these preconceived plans of, okay, let's hit uh, either edge or corner or receiver in round one, then second round, whatever we didn't get. Um, it's best player available is the most realistic path to go if you want to try and predict what's going to happen. Uh, so I think I could have been more prepared for it, and I probably would have been more on board with the initial reaction. Um, I mean, I think I still stand by some of the initial points that I was making. I, I still think that the expectations are a little bit higher for a running back than if he were a safety, if he were a linebacker. Um, because when you draft a running back, I think the first running back in the class, high second round pick, and you trade it up, very small cost to trade up. Um, but it, it is a decent investment. And I think you are hoping to get a 
you know, to use the example again, Jonathan Taylor a couple years ago, I think you're trying to get that kind of player, not just a, you know, good, decent member of your committee. I think you do want to get a star to be worth uh, that investment at a position that isn't quite as valuable as some others. So I, I do think I maintain the fact that my expectations are pretty high for him more so than what it would be if it were another position. But now that we know that he was the number 18 player on their board, which Joe Douglas revealed, uh, it, it definitely makes sense that it was a no brainer for them to make that pick. I mean, if you're sitting there, you have a top 20 player on the board in the high second round, you think the Texans are going to take him? go ahead and give up a fifth round pick, leap them and, and go get this guy who supports your quarterback supports the run game you want to establish. Um, and, and the quarterback is the most important part of it. Help him out, take pressure off him. Uh, so yeah, I've definitely come around on the the decision-making process of it. I do think it made a lot of sense. I, I definitely don't identify with the the nerds of Twitter who are kind of <laughs> ripping this one apart. Like, um, it, this is actually bad process by the Jets. You can't give up all the quantity of picks when you're there, a rebuilding there, team. There's a uh, misconception. So I don't identify with that, but, um, uh, but yeah, I've come around. There's a misconception because you are very into analytics, but I, I actually do credit you that you are able to think outside of the the very narrow the, the very narrow box that a lot of those analytics guys put themselves yeah. into. Um, and like you said, yeah. I mean the the jet. Oh, do you want to cut in there? Yeah, I, I mean, I, what I was going to say is I I just think the main sort of uh, mantra that you should use regarding analytics is it should be a tool, not a religion. And I think a lot of the analytics people on social media are just extremely rigid and they kind of operate as if they know everything and just any differing opinion is wrong. And, and I never try to do that. Like I try my best to use it as a tool to learn and just analyze better and sort of interpret information in a, in a smarter way, but I'm never going to deny the film and just the context uh, of the thought process in, in any given situation The the numbers are never the end all be all it's a useful tool but to, to operate like some of those people do as if it's the only way to you know make decisions is uh, it's, it's definitely definitely very close-minded and i try to try to stay away from that yeah context is the thing i think that always gets overlooked right. when you when you just follow analytics as a religion because like you said i mean the jets went into first of all this is a monumental draft for joe douglas and this entire team this is the draft they've been building up towards they walk in with four picks in the top 38. And I think I've seen some people act like, oh, well, that's a given that they should get four great players. And it's like, go back and look at the Raiders 2019 class. So the, the Dolphins in 2020 or like 2020, yeah, it was 2021 or I forget exactly. But there's been plenty of great, you know, the Jaguars have been picking in the top five for a decade straight. There's been plenty of teams who have high picks that don't hit them or teams that have multiple first round picks that don't get a bunch of studs. And again, none of the guys the Jets have drafted have played. Guys could get injured. Guys could not live up to expectations. You don't really know what will exactly happen. But on paper, the Jets had a great draft, and that's undeniable. That's objectively, especially when you look at it, you know, I have, I'm such a believer in Joe Douglas. That doesn't mean that he can do no wrong, but I was pretty confident that whatever they did, I was going to, to support. I mean, if this season doesn't go that well, maybe I'll be a little bit more questioning of Joe Douglas, but he's made smart move after smart move, especially over the last year and a half that it's like, you know, he has my faith. I trust him to be able to evaluate these draft picks uh, better than I can. And to, for him to get, you know, to go into the draft with two first round picks and walk out of there with four of your top 18 is absurd. I mean, that's great value. And you could just see it in the war room why they, why they were so excited and the context of, 
the fact that this is a Jets team that has had zero offensive weaponry for an entire decade, and you just drafted a rookie quarterback, the last rookie quarterback you drafted, you didn't surround him with any talent. Uh, and the, the goal of this offseason was to just give Zach Wilson zero excuses. Not that he's making a bunch of excuses, but to give to leave no doubt about the type of quarterback that you have. You know, give him a giant safety net to work with. It's like, yeah, score points, have fun. We get to watch Brees Hall highlights for the entire summer. And it's not like they just took any running back. They took the best running back in the class and a running back who might have been a top 15 pick five years ago. Lastly, before we get to our mailbag, uh, the other point, and I've seen this raised, is it's like you can't trade up for a running back. First of all, the second round in particular is the sweet spot for running back. But the trade that the Jets did for Brees Hall is literally the exact same trade that the Colts did for Jonathan Taylor a few years ago. They they gave up a thought, they gave up a fifth, they moved up three spots. The Jet, the Jets gave up a fifth and they moved up two spots. Do you think the Colts are regretting at all trading up for Jonathan Taylor? And I've seen right. some people say, well, they're not the Jets. They had a whatever. It's like, do people not? People just are displaying a, a critical unawareness of the Jets roster. And the fact, the fact is, the Jets have a good offensive line. With Makai Becton, they can have a great offensive line. So it's not like the Jets had all these holes all over the roster. I'm not saying they're proven roster, but they have young investments in a bunch of different positions. So for them to sit in the second round and take you know, an edge I've seen people throw about like uh, Ebiketti or Boye Mafe or David Ajabo. It's like, we want to add a 10th edge because if you go look at the Jets edge rushers. That's one of the deepest positions on the roster. Whereas Brees Hall is a guy who's going to touch the ball, you know, uh, you know, second most on the team outside of Zach Wilson in theory. Um, but like trading up for, for a running back. I mean, it's like the, the Vikings traded up for, for Dalvin cook, the Broncos traded up for Javante Williams. Uh, there's been a bunch of just successful trade-ups for running backs. Uh, and I think that the, the sentiment I saw in PFF was like, you know, trade-ups usually are only okay for quarterbacks, but I would argue unless you're Kansas city or maybe San Francisco who already kind of have established um, weaponry around you, trading it for a quarterback is actually one of the worst things you can do. And the jets saw it in 2018 and not to, maybe not the worst things you can do, but it's, it's super hard to develop your young quarterback when you give away all these assets to go and get them. The jets did it in 2018 and, didn't really have the assets to build around Darnold when it came to draft capital and the draft capital they did have they used on the defense and the bears are facing the same exact thing. It, they didn't have, they don't have the draft capital to build around fields uh, and the, the capital they did have, they used on defense. So that's where my concern comes with Justin Fields. I love the player, but like we've seen it where these rookie quarterbacks, it's like the biggest variable in their success is how the team builds around them. I've, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you put Josh Allen in a different situation. You put Josh Allen where the, where the Jets drafted Sam Darnold. He's not Josh Allen. And if you put Sam Darnold in Buffalo from day one, maybe he's a little bit better. I'm not saying he turned into Josh Allen, but situation is just so big. So, uh, so just to, to wrap up this entire rant, the entire week has bothered me seeing all these PFF nerds talking about trading up for a running back is bad. It's like, all right, you don't, you have a fundamental misunderstanding of this Jets roster. And then preaching only, you can only trade up for a quarterback. It's like, been a ton of trade up for quarterbacks that don't work, especially if you're a bad team. Um, so I guess we can get that rant out. Right. And a couple, couple more thoughts on that before, yeah. before we get into the questions. But uh, I think in terms of the trading up and, and like you mentioned, just the context of the, of the Jets roster is important um, because yeah, I, I think in general, like maybe you could make the argument that, you know, trading up in general tends to, you know, lose value compared to trading down, but the context is important because the Jets are this team that's in this situation now after all the trades they've made the past couple of years, Adams, Darnold, plus, you know, many, many veteran Leonard trades. Williams, just Avery Williamson, Leonard Williams, Steve Avery Williamson, McClendon, Blake Cashman, Herndon, all these trades have put them into this position that they're in now to where they can make these moves. And 
like they're not in this position to where they should take 15 players every year and sign 15 rookie contracts. They, they did do that last year and sort of supplement the roster with their nine picks. Um, but now they're in a spot where they can kind of use those picks instead of stockpiling. Uh, but instead of stockpiling them, just move up and get higher value to- uh, talent, you know, less quantity, more quality out of their picks. So they are in a situation to where they can do that because they've already supplemented the back end of the roster last year. And in, uh, I guess 2020, we'll see how it works, but uh, mostly 2021, they did that. And in free agency, they've not really focused on, you know, and, and they also haven't any made many or any superstar trades in terms of like a Debo, AJ Brown kind of trade. Uh, they've mostly focused the cap space on spreading out the roster and filling holes instead of getting the big superstars. So they've really filled out the roster well. They've accumulated at, uh, assets in the draft. So now they're in this position to where let's trade up for Jermaine Johnson. Let's trade up for Brees Hall a couple spots if we need to with a fifth round pick that has like a 10% chance of working out. So uh, less so, than less than 10%. Right. Go look at the probably G- less than that. DJ Bienemy put out screenshots of the last like three years of fifth round picks. Bryce Hall is the best fifth rounder in his class, like by right. a long shot. And like you might find a Hunter Renfro, but there's like most of those guys, there's like one name you'll recognize in the entire fifth round. And there might be a few other like solid, maybe role players that, you know, you don't know unless you're a fan of that team, but the hit rate and fifth round picks, it's like, what are we doing here? It, especially in this class, it's not like this was a particularly strong class. It was maybe a deep class, but I think that's just a nice way of saying there's not really any stars in this class. Right. But like but if that you're a team stars. in the, in the first year for rebuild, I, I can kind of see that argument. Like maybe you want to stockpile picks, get younger, you know, get a cheaper roster, more shots at the dartboard to start right. things off. And the jets did that the first couple of years. A lot of trading down. That's what Douglas was known for. But now he flips it around. They've already, you know, taken those first steps. Let's get more aggressive. Let's get blue chip talent because that's what they really lack. They've done a pretty decent job filling out the depth. But this year's free agency, last year's draft, let's get stars now. And that's what he went ahead and did. When you can make seven picks and the last one is in the high for high fourth round and four of them are in the top 40, you're in a good spot and you can maneuver and afford yeah. to give up. Um, some picks a couple more things about running backs and to be fair I'm still fairly low on its value relative to other positions but I think the I think sort of the narrative has gone out of hand to where it's like running backs aren't they don't not matter I think they matter less than most other positions but they do still matter they don't not matter at all like and the high second round is a good sweet spot to go get one because that's where you know you can get the best guy in the class or the second best guy in the class and you know not have to pay that first round contract uh and you know be able to get that value and you look at the past couple super bowl winning teams the rams last year cam Akers, second round pick bucks a couple years ago ronald jones second round pick um a few years before that the patriots sony michelle low first round pick so uh, it, it has been a position that teams have sort of looked in that you know, in the thirties and the forties to get that guy and have had success. So, um, so yeah, I think this is a pick that uh, again, still I have high expectations for him uh, for Brees Hall. I would like to see him be a very high level running back to, to make the pick worth it, but I think he's going to be that. And that's why the jets made this move. All signs point to him having that potential. Um, so yeah, I've come around on the pick and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. All right, Michael, let's let's get into this mailbag. We have a ton of questions here, which is to be expected. It's our draft mailbag. Um, so I guess we'll try to fly through these, but there's a, quite a bit to get through. So let's just get 
Let's get underway. So from at way out here, 18, he says, quarterback aside, where do you think the Jets' current offense ranks? On paper, it looks like it could be a, very, a top O-line, a very strong tight end group, a great running back room, and a wide receiver group that could be great. Um, I guess I'll, I'll go first here a little bit, Michael. Just I think the, the key here is on paper. We haven't seen we, – we're banking on a lot of things to happen here. I mean, first of all, you're banking that – let's just start up front. Outside of Zach Wilson, who we'll get to in a second – Makai Becton is probably the single most important player on this team. That's maybe up for debate. You can chew on that if you want, Michael. But I think if Makai Becton is healthy and playing at the level he was playing at as a rookie, hell not. Even just ignoring any leaps he could make as a veteran, this Jets run game is going to be a lot better. This Zach Wilson's going to have all day to throw. Uh, it just changes the, the the vision of this offense. But yeah, on paper, you look at this team. If they can stay healthy, that offensive line is legit. George Fan had a very good season last year. Granted, it was against a relatively easy schedule. You know, we're going to have to see who's playing left tackle, who's playing right tackle. I'm pretty certain they're going to have Becton at right tackle, keep Fant at left tackle since he had the success there and Becton played right tackle in, in college. But, you know, it's it's no sure thing. Becton was, you know, videoed this past week doing sets from, uh, you know, left tackle sets when he's working out. So you never know. Uh, and the, the interior of the Jets offensive line is great too. I'm not the hugest McGovern fan, but he's still an, an average center and a good scheme fit. But the duo of Tomlinson and AVT, and I love the signing he made this week, and I think there is a question about him later, but Nate Herbig as depth at that position, it's a legitimate offensive line. You mentioned the running backs. I, we were happy with just Michael Carter and Tevin Coleman, I guess, but we were happy with the, the type of season Michael Carter had and thought he really had a chance to, to be a star. I mean, he's definitely a stud, but he's had, he has the chance to become a star when you add a guy like Brees Hall. I mean, that is defenses now have to fear you and that changes, you know, how they defend you. You're going to see more single high safety looks because they're going to have to bring safeties into the box if they can't stop this run game. And that's going to open up the deep passing attack. And speaking of that, the receivers, I feel like, like you said, unproven for the most part. I think Corey Davis at this point is underrated. I still think he's a solid, you know, option number two uh, veteran wide receiver. Obviously, we love to see him with Elijah Moore. Garrett Wilson, I, I'm very high on, but we'll have to see him uh, in the pros. Uh, and then I love what they did at the tight end spot this year. So just, you know, to, to wrap your question, where do I think it ranks? I think the ceiling for this offense all comes down to Zach Wilson if, if we're getting a huge Josh Allen type leap, who, by the way, didn't really make his leap until year three. He was a lot better in year two, but he didn't make that monster leap until year three. But let's just say we get a sizable leap from, from Zach Wilson. I think this is a top 15 offense for sure. We, you know, I don't want to get crazy here, but it really does come down to the quarterback because there's a question here later that we'll get to. Uh, you know what? I, can, I guess I could just ask it in here now because I, and I'm going to give you uh, time to answer, but I think it ties in well. And it was essentially, I, I want to give credit to whoever it was, but it was essentially, if, if you replace Zach Wilson with Tom Brady right now, I mean, how much does that change your expectation for this offense? And that was from uh, at T-Bone HU82. Um, I would say you're feeling pretty good about this offensive unit. I'm not saying it's, it's top five in the league, but there are many holes here, Michael. So how do you feel about this entire group and, and the job Joe Douglas has done? And then where do you think it ranks uh, among current offenses? Right. Well, like you said, definitely it all starts with the quarterback in terms of the ceiling. I mean, you've seen a lot of offenses throughout the years play really well, just being lifted up by the quarterback. I mean, one team that comes to mind when I think of this is the 2015 Panthers. I mean, when Cam Newton has had his incredible MVP season, you look at the team around him. It was, it was really not that much to write home about, but he was just so incredible that year that it was a, 
dominant offense. So the quarterback, it, it all starts and ends there. So ultimately they'll go as far as Zach Wilson takes them this season. And, and we should keep our expectations tempered because like you said, with Josh Allen year two, he kind of elevated to an average quarterback after being really bad as a rookie. And then it was year three when he became a superstar. So maybe this is just that, you know, moderate leap for Zach Wilson and it's the next year where he steps up. Uh, so we should keep our expectations in check. We should expect, you know, a sizable improvement considering the supporting cast, but um, uh, maybe it takes him, maybe he has two or three leaps in his progression instead of just one. Um, but yeah, looking at the rest of it, this is a finally a, a competent offense on paper. I, th- I think we should avoid getting a little too optimistic because there are a lot of talented offenses in the NFL. And this is still a team that's, you know, coming up from the bottom. They weren't the worst offense in the NFL, but they still rank 28th in scoring. Um, so there is a lot of room to uh, a lot of room for them to grow. But uh, this is, I think you said it, if outside of Zach Wilson, I think you could argue this is a top 15 offense and and there are big swing factors in here. I think the biggest two are Becton and Garrett Wilson. Um, if Becton is healthy and he's, if not only if he's the guy that he was as a rookie, but if he can improve on that because he was 21 years old at the time as a rookie. So if he can build on that and become a top five sort of tackle, then man, the O-line could be, it could be, it could be a top five O-line legitimately. Uh, and then the receivers, Garrett Wilson is a huge X factor because rookie receivers can be anything. They could be Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, instant superstar, or it could be, they could be John Ross, Laquan, Laquan Treadwell, Jalen Rager. So uh, you've no idea what he's going to be. He could be as good as possible or as bad. So um, if he takes his time to get going, then this could probably, this will probably be a middle of the road wide receiver group, maybe a little, a little below average, but if he's good to start out, not even great, but if he's just good to compliment Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, and then the, you know, the depth and trickery that Barrios brings, this could be a top half, maybe top 12 to 15 wide receiver unit with the potential to be more depending on what Elijah Moore does and Garrett Wilson himself. So um, ultimately you look at the tight end depth, receiver depth, and then the O-line, the potential that has, I do think you can argue this is a, a top half offense on paper outside of the quarterback. Yeah. And I saw this, I saw this debate. I think it was DJ was talking about it, but you know, where does this jets offensive group rank uh, in its own division? And it's uh, right now it's on paper and you look, you could do the team as, as a whole. I think behind the bills, it's the Patriots right now are not that stacked on paper. Obviously they have bill Belichick, you know, they're going to win games. Um, but on paper between the Jets and Dolphins, I'm sorry, there aren't many other places that I would take the Dolphins over the Jets. So maybe I'm being biased. Uh, I think quarterback is, is a bit of a wash. I think Tua's probably been more consistent. He's proven a, a little bit more than Zach Wilson has, but I think any Dolphins fan would be lying to themselves if they, if they would say that Zach Wilson doesn't have a much higher ceiling than Tua and is also just entering year two. So we don't really know what Zach Wilson or Tua is. Uh, but at running back, that's an easy Jets win. At tight end, that's an easy Jets win. Offensive line is an easy Jets win. Receiver, you have to give to the Dolphins. I mean, Waddle and Hill is going to be hell. But the Jets aren't no slouch at, at receiver, as you pointed out. And then defensively, the Dolphins were a much better defense than the Jets were last year. But again, they're lo- they lose Flores. You don't know how much of a, um, you know, they could take a step back. I know they kept their defensive coordinator, uh, Boyer, around. But they did lose Brian Flores. And when you look at that team, it's like, I know we're getting away from offense, but it's like 
I would take the Jets defensive line over uh, their defensive line. I would take probably some of the Dolphins linebackers outside of CJ Mosley. I probably feel better about their linebacking core. And then at corner, it's like, all right, Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, again, more proven, but sauce Gardner and DJ Reed think there's a, there is a legitimate chance that the Jets corners can be better than the Dolphins corners this year. I mean, Howard and Byron Jones are getting up there in age. I thought DJ, DJ Reed had a better season than uh, the Byron Jones last year. Uh, and that safety is, I think you have to give to the Dolphins. But anyways, my, the point being is on paper, this is the set. This could be the second best team in the division. Will it? Will Bill Belichick's all of a sudden start losing games? I'm not going to bet on that. Are you going to bet against uh, the firepower that the Dolphins have at, at receiver between Hill and Waddle? Maybe not. But I don't think that the, the Jets are in the cellar of the AFC East. I think there's a legitimate chance that they can really compete to be number two in this division. I'm not going to make any claims about the Buffalo Bills, who are probably the best team in football, but... You know, even the Dolphins, like they brought in Teron Armstead, and, and, you know, I've seen Dolphins fans shitting on Mackay Becton talking, I mean, Omar Kelly was talking about how he's a M&M away from 400 pounds. It's like Teron Armstead plays like eight games a year. So Mackay Becton, yeah, he had some injury issues as a rookie, but he still played in 12. He gets rolled up on week one and now he sucks. I just, I don't know. I just feel like a lot, we'll, we'll answer a lot of questions this year, but this Jets team on paper, at least is, is the best uh, that I've seen in the last, you know, probably since 2015 um, and we'll see uh, on paper if it or on the field, if it comes out to that um, from that big dogs, 13, 18, I know we said we got to speed through and then we just spent like seven minutes on the first question. So. Every single time we do one of these, it's the same narrative. It's the same one. We're, we're going to go really quickly. Then 10 minutes later, we get to the next question, but, well, but we, it's good. We you, provide when, detail here. When you have a podcast on a team, you're kind of used to just getting to every single layer of a topic. Whereas like, if you had a show on like ESPN, you're talking about like every single other sport. So you can be a little bit more surface level, but like, right. <laughs> I'm just used to, I'm, I, you know, this should be like maybe a, you know, five minute or like a three minute answer. And here we are. On question yeah. Somehow two. a question about where the jets offense ranks went to talking about the dolphins offensive that's, line. That's, all right. That's my fault. Um, <laughs> at big dogs, 13, 18, when you watch Brees hall, how would you rank him in this class and compared to the last four years of running backs that came out? Do you think him and Carter can be equal to what Carter saw at North Carolina? Uh, were you more impressed with hall or Elijah Moore tape last year? This is for you, Michael. Um, I'll start with that last part in terms of hall or Elijah Moore tape. It's, it's definitely a tough one because when I watched Elijah Moore, I felt like I mean, it's kind of hard to answer now, I guess, because what I was going to say was I feel like a lot of the things I saw translated to his rookie year um, in terms of the route running, how consistently he was winning at all levels of the field. Um, but I guess keeping that out, I think you have to say relative to their position, I think Hall is clearly the better prospect because, you know, we're talking about the number one running back this year, a guy who compares to athletically to adrian peterson jonathan taylor the production is obviously historic so relative to their position i'd probably say Brees hall is better in terms of you know giving more the edge based on position they're, they're probably equal or close i would say but relative relative to their position i probably uh, would say hall is the better prospect yeah I, I guess i see what you're saying there um how would you how would you rank hall um, compared to the last four years of the running backs that have come out. I mean, that's J- uh, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, Michael Carter. Uh, geez, I'm trying to think of other, I mean, Jonathan Taylor came out in 2020. Um, I'd have to go look up the other draft classes, but uh, specifically last year's draft class, I think is, is a good starting point. Where would you put him in, in the 2021 class? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting one because it, it just feels like, I mean, just from all the information that I've done researching and just, you know, watching him, it does 
feel like he should be in that class of all those elite running backs we've seen recently. But of course he slips all the way down to 36. Um, so last year, obviously there was Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams. Those were your early guys until uh, then Trey Sermon. Like oh, okay. we, we don't have to worry about any of those guys. Um, he would be in the top right. three. We know that. Right. Um, I really do want to say that he's right up there. I'm, I'm not even being biased now because he's a jet because even before it, like all I would see is, you know, next gen stats does um, their Twitter account does really cool research, just kind of combining like their production, their athleticism and how it ranks historically against other prospects. And all I saw were all these comparisons, putting him you know, with Najee Harris, which uh, with Saquon Barkley, Derek Henry, um, and all these guys, all these historic running back prospects. So I, I really do think all signs point to him being in that class where he's in that conversation um, for being the number one running back in pretty much any given class the last few years. I just think the running back value has fallen that much to where that's why he was there in the second round. So uh, in terms of last year's class, I guess, <sighs> what do you think? Would you put him above Najee Harris last year? I, don't, I think that. No, I would put Najee Harris above him. I mean, it, I don't think it's That's like fair. Yeah, I don't think it's a, a runaway. I clear, I could see Brees Hall having the better career, but I would say Najee Harris probably gets the nod. I mean, he, yeah. and also you also have to factor in level of competition. Not that Brees Hall was going up against a bunch of nobodies because Iowa State does play good teams, but Najee Harris was in the SEC. He had been doing it for a few years. I mean, so did Brees Hall, but yeah, I would say Najee is probably above him. I would put Brees Hall above Travis Etienne and Javante Williams, though. Um, okay. Year before that was uh, Edwards Hilaire, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor. Where would you put him there? Well, no, we know now Jonathan Taylor is number one out of all of these, but just as right. prospects, uh, I think he's above Clyde Edwards Hilaire and, uh, and DeAndre Swift. And at the time, like if, if I were to go back, I would probably say he was a better prospect than Jonathan Taylor, but Jonathan Taylor's dominating in the NFL. So it seems kind of silly for me to say that. So let's just ignore Jonathan Taylor for now. I mean, if, if without him, I would definitely put him above Clyde Edwards Alaire and, and DeAndre Swift. The, the point with, with Brees Hall, just to, to move things along is that, yeah, he is an elite running back prospect. I think we didn't really pay too much attention to the running backs. Like you said, outside of the, the later ones, which is maybe where we expected them to take it. But just because he was picked 36 does not mean he was the 36th best player in the draft. I mean, I think, I think five years ago, he's, he's a first round pick 10 years ago. He's a top 15 pick. So uh, yeah, I mean, didn't like Leonard Fournette went fourth overall in 2017. Like you go back to 2017, Brees Hall's in that class, or 2016 with when Ezekiel went uh, went third, or 2018 when Saquon went second. I mean, he's up in there. I mean, I, I, Saquon had so much hype around him. So did Fournette, and so did Ezekiel Elliott. They played on bigger teams, so maybe they had a little bit more hype. But I still think he would have been a first round pick. Um, for Matt Doggy Boy, four with two Y's um two wise on the, the boy uh do you think there's a legitimate chance uh they decide to cut the losses with zach if he's terrible again this year it seems there should be little excuses for him so if he is dreadful they think they could look for a new quarterback and what looks to be a stacked class next year first of all way too early to say um but my gut my inclination would be he would have to be pretty terrible for them to move on from him uh, i think i think he gets three years i mean you they moved on from darnold but you know darnold had played three years and i think some people the narrative was not that the Jets, uh, that, you know, Sam Darnold was finished with the Jets. I mean, some people were like, oh, the Jets are moving on from Darnold too quickly. There's a segment of the fan base that wanted to keep Darnold. So you're getting rid of Zach Wilson after two years. I think that's premature. I don't see Joe Douglas doing that, considering he's the highest pick he, he's made. I think they really believe in him. Um, the, the question would be, 
and this is getting too far ahead of ourselves, but like, yeah, if he continues to be bad, I think it really comes down to the other rookies, especially the ones drafted this year. If Joe Douglas really hit on this draft class and Michael Carter and Vera Tucker and, and Elijah Moore are all good, I think he'll get another crack at, at picking his own quarterback. Um, but it really just comes down to how did the, the rest of the draft classes perform? I think Joe Douglas has done enough and has set himself up into the position where if these rookies play well, he'll get himself another crack, even if, if Zach Wilson's bad. But it's just too early to say. I think I think the Zach Wilson you saw at the end of the season, I think you're going to see that next year, um, plus you know a little bit more and having more help around him. So I don't I don't think he's going to be uh, dreadful. Um, but Michael, before we move on, any any thoughts on that? Do you think do you think there's a chance if Zach is like just god awful? I mean, I think he'd have to be like week two New England Patriots bad every week for this to be a reality. Uh, but do you see any scenario where they where they can move on from after this year? I think the only way I could see it is if he were bad enough to where they were in a spot to where they could get one of these top quarterbacks next year without trading up. Like if they picked first or second, or depending on how deep the class is, right. maybe third. And it was like all his fault. And it was clear, you know, this is a really good team. Like we have an infrastructure, although it's hard to pick that high and be a good team. But if he were that bad to where – he is single-handedly dragging the whole team down. You could draft whoever comes out next year, um, maybe, but it's only two years. It would be pretty unprecedented to see a guy given up on that early yeah. after, you know, after getting to his second year. Because sometimes guys, you know, Rosen flamed out after one. But, you know, that was an example of circumstances where it could happen. So right. it's extremely unlikely. But I guess yeah. if you're number one and it's all his fault, then – Sure. I don't think it's likely, especially since it's, it's the same general manager and head coach that picked him. They both sound super high on him. And it sounded like if the jets were picking third, they might've kept Sam Darnold. I mean, it really sounds like, I mean, they broke it down. They scouted Zach Wilson versus Sam Darnold. Who would they take? And they said they'd take Zach Wilson, but it didn't sound like it was necessarily a foregone conclusion after the year that Sam Darnold was going to be out of there. Um, although I, and even I was listening to him on, uh, I think it was Taylor Luan's podcast. Uh, and Sam Darnold was talking about like, you know, beginning of last year, like he was talking with Michael floor. He was going over the scheme. I mean, he, he said he had a kind of a feeling that he might get traded, but they were going through the motions as if he was going to play. So I don't think it was necessarily a, a foregone conclusion. They were going to get rid of Sam if they pick third. And so to take that to Zach Wilson, they would really have to be in the position, like you said, to where it would, you could make the argument would be a legitimate upgrade. Uh, for Matt McAnally, John, do you think they'd ever play AVT and add offensive tackle in a pinch? It's a good question. Uh, I think it would really have to be a, a pretty big pinch. Uh, I, he did play off at the tackle at USC. There was some talk, uh, you know, about him playing off at the tackle in the NFL. It wasn't like when he came out, it wasn't as if he's, he's a guard only the, 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 for some teams, if they drafted him, he might've been a right tackle. Um, so yeah, if the tackle spot gets really bad, I mean, I am kind of worried about the depth and the depth of the interior offensive lines looking good. And you want to play her big and whatever I could see him maybe sliding out there um yeah I, I agree i think it would have to be you know if however many backup tackles you have all of them go out then i could see it you know push him out there bring in her big play guard um so it is it is useful useful to have that versatility as a last result i don't i don't see it being a a primary option though all right from at cd underscore 2k and this is pretty much the exact inverse of the question that was just asked uh a moment ago Fans make or have made all kinds of excuses for Sala and his staff. I don't believe in doubling down and keeping mistakes for continuity. Zach is a once in a lifetime for the Jets. What does Sala and his staff need to show to keep their jobs? Uh, I think that 
It's tough. Uh, first of all, I, I disagree with what you're saying here. Um, I don't believe in doubling down and keeping mistakes for continuity. I agree with that. Like if the Jets defense is horrific next year, they have to make some changes. Maybe they fire Jeff Ulbrich. Um, but I, I think, I don't think you're ever going to really turn something around. If you just keep recycling through coaches and management and quarterbacks every two years, you really do have to allow these time, these guys time to grow. Um, and, and I think that Sala has shown me, he hasn't necessarily proven it, but I, I can see the vision with him. And so I, I, I've watched a decade of terrible Jets football that I have kind of on the mindset of like, let's just let Sala and Joe Douglas put their vision out there and we'll see what it comes out to. Um, we'll see if it works, but I, I, I don't think Sala has done anything to the, to the level of like a guy like Urban Meyer just got himself fired in a year. Like, I don't think there's much Sala could do this year to get himself fired. I'm not saying, you, you know, they should just keep trying the same thing over and over again. They might have to fire a few coaches. They might have to make some changes. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I think this is kind of dumb. Uh, and also it's like Zach is a once in a lifetime for the jets. It's possible that he's not like, we don't know that, you know, there are plenty of guys with super high ceilings that just don't pan out. I don't think that's, you could put that all on Sala if it doesn't work out. Um, so Michael, anything you want to add here? Well, yeah, I think it's unlikely that uh, there's any firing in terms of Douglas and Sala this year. Like you said, though, I could see, um, you know, if the defense really struggles, there could be big changes on that side of the ball. Uh, that's definitely legitimate. But I think Sala is here, not necessarily for the defensive side of the ball. It's just the way he manages the roster, the way he speaks to the media, motiv- motivates players and creates relationships in a positive culture and all that. That's what he's there to do. And he's doing that really well. And, you know, hopefully that translates to wins, obviously. That's that's why those things are important. Um, but unless they have a, an extremely bad season, then, then I have a hard time uh, seeing him fired because it's still, you know, they're inheriting a team that had nothing. So it, it could take a little bit more than two years. I, uh, you know, they might only win six, seven games this year, maybe, maybe somewhere around there. Um, and no, oh, don't worry, we're getting that exact question. Uh, right. But I, I think that should be enough for them to stick around. Barring, if, again, a complete disaster, I, uh, I think he'll stick around. So in terms of evaluating solid this season, I, I think mainly what you want to see is just a continuation of the, the positive culture they've had. Um, and I know moral victories only go so far, but it is something that can help in the long run and is a refreshing change versus what this team used to be and what you see other teams around the NFL continue to be. There are a lot of dysfunctional teams in the league that won't win because of those problems. When you look at Washington, when you look at Jacksonville, those, those teams aren't going to win with the structures they have. It's just not going to happen. And the Jets aren't are not one of those teams right now, regardless of the record on the field. So continuation of that would be great. And, and then I just think the development of not necessarily the players they drafted this year. I know that's the hype right now, but let's see the guys they drafted last year take steps. The guys they drafted in 2020, the guys returning from injury like Carl Lawson, um, the development of that talent on the roster. Let's see some of that. So I think those are the two main things. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit ridiculous to say Zach is, is a once in a lifetime for the Jets. I certainly see what he means when it comes to like talent and ceiling. But for me, like if you're going to make that declaration after one season, I would say Sala is a once in a lifetime for the Jets. Um, and you want to give him every chance to succeed and not straddle him with the, with a bad quarterback if Zach's not performing. Um, I, I think, like you said, I mean, Sala's done a has shown plenty of things to be optimistic about. And in my eyes, I think head coach is more important than quarterback. They're obviously both monumental. And 
I think Salah's just earned his his chance to try to see his vision through. And their vision isn't just a two-year plan. Joe Douglas came in and got a six-year contract for a reason. It was a longer rebuild. Um, and I, that doesn't mean we should be happy with a three-win season this year, but patience is a virtue. And I think it could pay off for the Jets if, if they continue to be patient. And I think that the patience that they showed the last few years will actually end up starting to pay off this year. That's kind of my mindset is that I think, you know, they were patient. They started being patient in like 2017 and they've been patient kind of all the way through outside of maybe that, that 2019 off season where they splurged for, for Bell and Mosley. But there's been so many seasons the last few years where it's like, all right, we're not trying to win a Super Bowl yet. And I think we're starting to get to the point where that patience uh, hopefully will have paid off, especially under Douglas. All right. From Matt Verge, 001, Jets signed a decent looking 23 year old backup interior offensive lineman this week from Philly's waiver wire. He's talking about Nate Herbig. Uh, any other cuts that, uh, like that you can see happening, a tackle, linebacker, interior, defensive line, or free safety? Or is there anyone worth signing that's still a, a free agent at those positions uh, besides Quan Alexander? Michael? Yeah, well, first of all, in the Herbig signing, I think we should talk about that a little bit. Um, that's a great move. I mean, uh, I've, I've been trying to find a catch as to why this guy's available. And it just seems like um, he requested a release, wanted a better opportunity which, I mean, I guess the Jets aren't the best to get playing time. Um, but this is a guy who's young. He has played all three interior positions in the league. His production is good in both phases in terms of grades, pressure, penalties, all that. Um, so this is a clear upgrade over Greg Van Rowen, and they saved cap space to do it. So um, Jets got clearly better with this move. Um, but looking at some other spots, they can get better. Um, Deion Jones is a guy who's been floated around as a potential cut. Um, I wouldn't trade for him on his contract, and he declined a lot last year. Falcons fans were throwing a lot of criticism at him. Um, if he gets released, you know, sure, bring him in, but uh, not a guy I'm trading for. Uh, the linebacker market does still have some good veterans, though, um, mostly older players. I mean, that's what you're going to get at this point, but. Uh, AJ Johnson from the Broncos, uh, sort of a character issue guy, but really good production. Uh, KJ Wright, solid connection. Um, Dante Hightower, Anthony Barr, Jets legend, Joe Scobbert. Uh, so there are some some names out there if you want a competent veteran linebacker. Uh, we'll see if they do that, though. I feel like that they like their young talent and, and want to develop it. So we'll see what happens, but preferably for me, and I know, uh, a lot of people would probably agree. Uh, it would be good to just have that security blanket of a veteran linebacker. If these guys don't develop, go ahead and throw in uh, a decent veteran starter out there instead of just relying fully on these guys. But uh, we'll see if they actually do that. Yeah, my biggest concern on this team right now is linebacker. So I, I definitely think they'll make a move, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier. I think we've we passed the point where Joe Douglas wouldn't make a move and because you know like in 2020 it was kind of like all right why sign this guy this veteran um you know you want to get your young guys to play you're not necessarily tanking but you're not necessarily trying to win at all i think douglas is in the position where he'll do anything he can to make this team a lot better linebacker to me it's like all all it takes is one cj mosley injury and this team is really screwed at that position and linebackers are just so huge for this defense um so i'd like to see a move there i mean it is you know, remember Quincy Williams was signed at the waiver deadline last year. 
uh, at the waiver wire uh, cut down last year. And I think that they could make, they could probably find a linebacker then if they don't sign a veteran, you know, maybe they, they go through training camp, see how their guys are uh, and then make a signing. But like, I agree with you. I think they're, they should bring in a veteran linebacker uh, before training camp. Offensive tackles, the other, the other spot that I really have, any issues it's just because again one becton injury and it's like all right i guess we're starting max mitchell or chuma doga or, or connor mcdermott i just feel like i felt a lot better when they had morgan moses last year and it really turned out to pay off because becton goes down week one and, and morgan moses plays pretty much every single game I, I think he actually did play all 17 games um unless i'm mistaken so yeah i would say linebacker and what are you gonna say Oh, I mean, I was just going to talk about some of the tackles that are available. Okay, um, yeah, go ahead. The, yeah, there's Daryl Williams from last year. He was kind of a guy we were talking about, um, right tackle from the Bills. Um, yeah, sort of like linebacker, there are a lot of veteran, sort of Morgan Moses-type players out there. Eric Fisher, Brian Bulaga, Riley Reef, uh, Brandon Shell, actual Jets legend, unlike mm. Anthony Barr, um, Bobby Massey. Mike Remmers. I'm just rattling off the list here of all the 30 plus tackles that I see. So, uh, so yeah, there, there is that security um, because I mean, like the interior depth, I think is good with Herbig and Dan Feeney. I don't, that's pretty solid for your backup group of interior guys, but tackle right now, obviously they drafted Max Mitchell, but I don't think you expect too much out of him as a rookie. Chuma Idoga is not reliable and Connor McDermott is I like Joe Douglas a lot, but I, I don't understand the fascination with McDermott. Joe Blewett has this joke that he does all the time in his film breakdowns. Like he'll be talking about a college edge rusher and like he'll be going up against a tackle and Blewett will kind of point out like in, in the NFL, you're not, uh, the tackle is not going to be playing like that unless he's Connor McDermott. <laughs> so like he's, uh, he, he's not good. So they can improve the depth of this tackle position for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe future tight end for, for Connor McDermott. But that is that is a possibility. <laughs> this man has never dropped a pass, and yeah. you can't take that away from him. The, the only other holes that you mentioned, and I would agree with you, is would be like run-stuffing defensive tackle. I think you might be able to find that in training camp between a Tanzel Smart or a Jonathan Marshall. I think that's somebody you, you might be able to find on the, on the lower, a younger player. Uh, and then safety, it's like – it's not amazing, but first of all, you got Whitehead at one spot, and then you, you like Joyner a lot, who was penciled in to be a starter last year. And then behind that, it's like, all right, you got Ashton Davis entering year three. I thought Jason Pinnock looked good at times last year. Elijah Riley had his moments. Um, so I'm not too worried about safety. For me, it's linebacker and offensive tackle. I think you'll find your interior defensive lineman, and I don't think you really have to do much at, at safety. Um, at T-Bone, HU82, a lot of talk about win-loss expectations for this year. Hypothetical question. Oh, there it is. Okay, that was a question asked earlier. Uh, it was, well, I don't think you ever answered it. If you just swapped Zach Wilson with Tom Brady, no other changes, what would your win-loss slash playoffs expectations be? I guess I would say 10, wild card, like 9, 10 wins is reasonable. Because I think with the Bucks, when he went there, like, you could have Super Bowl reasonable Super Bowl aspirations because that's a veteran team. Their defense had plus starters at every position. Their O-line was stacked. And the Jets O-line is stacked too, but we kind of knew that O-line. It had kind of proven itself a little bit already. Um, I, I guess not quite because they just got Tristan Wirfs. But uh, I, I feel like that team is a little more established. And even though they weren't good, I think they won seven games the year before Brady was there. Jets just won four, so yeah. a little bit. And also the receivers, a lot more proven. Godwin, Evans. Gronk. Uh, Gronk was there. So there's definitely more proven veteran talent 
on that team. Whereas with the Jets, you put Brady on there. Absolutely. You got to go to the playoffs with Tom Brady and this team, which isn't, you know, not a terrible roster anymore. So I, I just say wild card nine, 10 wins would be my reasonable floor if you switch the quarterbacks on. But with Zach Wilson, again, the possibilities are uh, all over the place. All right, from at Harlem for days, is Clemens the overlooked draft pick? It looks like he's really liked in the building, and he was quote tweeting the, uh, uh, the just the quote that Carl Lawson is trying to take him under his wing. He met with him this morning, and it, it just seems like Lawson either liked what he saw from Clemens. I think Clemens is maybe a little overlooked. Look, it's hard for Max Mitchell and Clemens and even Jeremy Rucker to an extent to get any spotlight because the Jets basically just drafted four first round picks. So it's like the four first round picks. Really, it's the three first-round picks, Brees Hall, and the other guys. Jeremy Record has kind of moved himself into because he's, he's going to be a fan favorite. Um, but I think Clemens is getting overlooked for sure. I think he's in a good spot because he's not going to have to play right away. I think he, he certainly can play. But you look at him, I mean, physically, his arms are insane. I mean, you can see why um, the Jets drafted him because not only is he a physical freak of nature, he was also highly productive. And he was a team captain. Yes, the arrests are maybe mildly concerning, but they weren't violent crimes. And so if the Jets did their background on him and they feel confident in him, um, you know, I, I like the pick a lot. I think that was good value. Without the arrest, he's a day two pick. Um, and he has a few moves in his arsenal. Obviously, he's going to need to add more. That's why I like Carl Lawson, um, giving him some techniques. His bend isn't amazing, but when you have arms like he does, you don't need it. And especially you put him in this wide nine uh, system where he's going to be able to rush on those wide angles. I just think it's a great scheme for him. So I'm excited for Clemens, but he, again, he's one of those guys where um, the jets are getting closer to being back in a normal uh, situation where like a fourth round rookie isn't relied upon to start immediately where the last few years, it's kind of been, been like that where you've had day three rookies starting Max Mitchell, and Michael Clemens should not be starting this year, maybe towards the end of the year with injuries or whatever or Clemens balls in the preseason, but the expectation for Clemens and Mitchell should be red shirt years. Yeah, I agree. And like, it was an interesting pick because obviously it's uh, maybe the, the deepest position in their roster. I mean, Carl Lawson, Jermaine Johnson, Jacob Martin, Bryce Huff, Vinny Curry is in there. So it's, it's got a lot of depth. It's going to be hard to get that playing time, but uh, clearly when Joe Douglas takes a guy who isn't, isn't perfect from a character standpoint, although like you said, not the most serious issues was still a team captain. Um, but those are things that, obviously probably contributed to his slipping down the board. Um, Douglas said it himself. He's, they saw him as a day one, day two borderline talent. So, uh, and maybe that's pumping him up a little bit, but either way, it's clear that they saw the talent as a good value for the draft position. So um, he's a guy who I probably barring injuries wouldn't expect to see much this year, but over the years, as guys sort of phase out, we don't know how long Carl Lawson's going to be here. Vinnie Curry, who knows if he'll even make the team this year, um, Bryce Huff, Jacob Martin, guys who aren't necessarily guaranteed to be here long-term, then he could sort of work his way up the depth chart and maybe have a chance to start in a few years. But I think just like Johnson, he's a good scheme fit, um, a guy who maybe isn't the best finesse rusher, not that he doesn't have any moves, but you know the most important, the most appealing trait is the explosion and the length and that's something that plays well in this defense where he could just explode off the ball and cause some havoc so it's a good fit for him and uh, I think this year best case scenario he can be a really good situational pass rusher and they have a, a trio of guys who I think can do that 
and uh, with him, Bryce Huff and, and Jacob Martin. So the depth on this defensive line and how fresh they'll, they'll be able to keep everyone, which will, which will be helpful for Car- for Carl Lawson with his injury questions. Uh, it, it's a really good thing. So I, I wouldn't have the highest expectations this year, but we'll see over the years if he can sort of phase into a role. Although the one thing that uh, is worth keeping in mind is he is going to be 25 this year. So in terms of the development over the years, maybe not the most growth potential more, maybe he is more of a guy that you want to see producing right away at that age. Um, So that is something to keep in mind. Uh, So he's going to have to compete for playing time, but a, a good scheme fit and uh, should should help keep everyone fresh in this rotation and provide some juice in passing situations. The one thing that can help him is that he is a bigger defensive end where it's like, the, yes, the Jets have Bryce Huff and Jacob Martin behind Carl Lawson, but those guys are kind of the smaller, twitchier pass rushing defensive ends, whereas like Jermaine Johnson, uh, John Franklin Myers, and Michael Clemens are probably your bigger defensive ends, and John Franklin Myers is going to be playing defensive tackle. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe all it takes is one Jermaine Johnson injury, and Michael Clemens is playing meaningful reps for this team. I guess they have Vinnie Curry as well. So, um, although he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's probably, he's probably Jermaine Johnson's backup ahead of Clemens. But it's a deep group, but you're right. Maybe it's not a complete redshirt for Clemens. I hope it's a redshirt for Mitchell because, uh, I, you know, I don't want to see. I'd rather just Beckton and Fan could stay healthy this year. Um, for Matt Shady Tex, he says, how do you think the wide receivers will be rotated? Last season, there were times all the starters came off at once. Um, Michael, I guess I'll give this one to you first. I mean, you were pushing a little bit in the earlier in the offseason, the Corey Davis to the slot movement. It seems to have cooled off a little bit. How do you see kind of, I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but how do you see the Jets grouping these guys who plays where, um, you know, and, and do guys like Denzel Mims and Braxton Barrios, how often do they, they get in? Yeah, well, I think in a 12-heavy offense, like, again, like we said last time, just because you're 12-heavy doesn't mean that's what you play the most. It'll probably be 30% of the time, 40 max. 11 is still going to be most common, so three wide receivers. Um, I, th- I think it's definitely going to be Davis, Wilson, Moore as your three starters. And then in those two uh, two wide receiver sets, you can mix and match a little bit. Corey Davis gives you more run blocking. Um, but you got to get Elijah Moore out there sometimes too, even if it's a, you know, uh, a heavier set. So I think it, it is going to be a little hard for Barrios and Mims to get in there to start out, but you know, Barrios has showed last year what they could do with them in the scheme. So I, I think they're going to try to find ways to get them out there uh, in certain situations, you know, give Garrett Wilson a rest, give Elijah Moore a rest. So uh, definitely I think it's playing, uh, Barry's playing time is going to be pretty low to start out probably no more than 15 20 percent of the snaps if everyone's healthy uh, I guess this would be my prediction to start out I would say more leads the way with 75 80 percent Davis probably follows 70 65 percent Wilson to start out probably around the same as Davis maybe a little bit less 50 60 percent uh, and then Barrios will kind of be sprinkled in with his own unique packages here and there, maybe 10, 15%. I don't, I we'll have to check that math. Uh, I think, I think Mims, do you think Mims has the it's opportunity? It's very accurate. It's very accurate math. I promise. <laughs> do you think Mims has the opportunity to carve himself out a role? Um, because I mean, look, the, he looks a lot bigger. The, I, Joe, I will say Joe Douglas has made sure to mention him uh, in the, the few interviews that I've seen. Uh, I guess the ideal scenario would be that he could kind of usurp Corey Davis and then you're you're left with with Mims Wilson and and Moore as your young trio but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves I think that 
Uh, he really needs to prove it on the field. But do you think there's a chance he could he could carve himself out a package, a red zone package, or something like that, or maybe take snaps away from from Davis? Um, I'm I'm, I'm just gonna keep my I'm optimistic about a lot of stuff right now. A lot of stuff. <laughs> That's going, true. This is the one thing I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit back and watch it happen. I'm not gonna get my hopes up too much with Denzel Mims. If whatever he does, if he catches one pass this season, I'll I'll be very happy about that. This is the one thing I'm going to keep my expectations tempered because last year was, it was, it was very rough. So uh, I'm going to keep true. my expectations low and just enjoy whatever he can bring. All right. From at uh, photo Vaser, I don't know if I pronounced that right. Uh, I know JJ had a mediocre pass rush win rate. PFF had a stat that on one-on-ones his win rate was more impressive and that he got shipped slash doubled a lot because FFU's lack of talent. Any evidence of this in the film? We don't even have to go to the film. Uh, FSU was awful last year. And I said the same point to Michael. Like, I think even before the Jets drafted him, we were talking about his, uh, his bad, uh, some of his bad numbers and stuff. And I said, well, look, I mean, it is a little easier to have higher pressure numbers when you're on Georgia with a bunch of other stars. When you're at FSU and you were the only guy on that defensive line, which Jermaine Johnson was the only guy on that defensive line. Yeah, you're getting doubles. Your, your teammates aren't creating pressures, so there's less opportunities for sacks. Your quarterback getting rid of the ball quicker. The corners are getting burned. Uh, you know, there's less time to get after the quarterback. I mean, FSU being awful definitely does impact some of those numbers. Uh, but Michael, I mean, you still do have some concerns about some of the the, the numbers behind Jermaine, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's something you should keep in mind because I think with any concern of your own team's draft prospects, you should be honest with them because if the Dolphins drafted him, then you would point it out as, oh, look at this. This is why he's not that good. But now because he's on the Jets, we have to make excuses for it. But, but no, I think, like you said, the, the lack of talent around him at Florida State, definitely worth mentioning because, you know, this guy's the defensive player of the year in the ACC, a, was a, a legitimately great player. And they were still a bottom half scoring defense among FBS teams and he was by far the highest graded player in the team. He was the only Florida state player drafted this year, offense or defense or special teams. So he did not have a lot around him. And that definitely, definitely played a role in the possible lack of consistency with his pass rush. Um, But at the same time, I think there's definitely legitimacy to it. Um, You look at Joe Blewett's film review. That's probably the most honest Jermaine Johnson film review out there. And it points out a lot of the issues in his pass rush plan. Like sometimes he'll just come in and try to win with sheer athleticism and he'll just get run up the arc. Uh, sometimes he rushes high, doesn't get as low into his bull rush as he could. Um, and there was an interview I saw with him where he was really honest about some of these weaknesses. Um, I think it was with CBS at the combine, um, but he talked about it. He said, you know, sometimes I just rely on my athleticism. I'm paraphrasing, um, but basically said he relies sometimes too much on his tools, just trying to overwhelm guys that he knows he's better than uh, and that he could sharpen his pass rush plan and his technique and things like that. So if he can do that, and especially being with Carl Lawson and Vinnie Curry, all these veterans he can learn from, he can become more consistent. So I do think there is legitimacy to the the win rate concerns with him, especially how far behind he was. Carl Aftis, Hutchinson, and uh, Thibodeau, those guys were elite in terms of win rate in college, whereas he was about average for a college edge rusher, which obviously isn't great projecting to the next level. So I think there's legitimacy to it and he does have to improve, but you can also, uh, I think it is legitimate to kind of cut him some slack for the lack of talent around him. But I think ultimately, you know, he's going to be a good run defender. He's, 
I think he's going to make big plays in the passing game with that athleticism and explosion and the motor he has as well. He's going to get some sacks and I think we'll get some strip sacks. He'll make those big plays, but can he be consistently dominant enough? Can he, can he get into the backfield as frequently and cause as much havoc and, you know, nightmares for opposing O-lines as star edge rushers do in the NFL, like Carl Lawson could, you know, like your Joey Bosa's, your Khalil Max, Chandler Jones, TJ Watts, like those guys don't only make the big plays, but they're constantly in the backfield creating pressure. And that's how you become a star edge rusher. So uh, I do think there legitimately is some improvement he has to do. And his win rate is a, a little bit, probably a big reason why he slipped. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, there is, there are other traits he brings to the table that are good. And I think you can, you know, cut him some slack for the team that he played with. For Matt J risk one, two, seven, where would sauce stack up against the top corners drafted over the past few years? Uh, while you were answering that, Michael, I was getting the list together. Uh, I mean, the, the top guys that he's competing against here, are JC Horn, Patrick Sertain, I guess you throw Derek Stingley in there as well. Um, 2020 uh, Jeff Okuda 20. I don't think 2019, uh, let me look at it real quick, but I'm pretty sure 2019 didn't have a, a top guy. Uh, and then 2018, if you want to go back far, that back is, is Denzel Ward. So I guess the real contenders there are Sertain, Horn, uh, Ward, and uh, and Jeff Okuda, I guess. Where, where would you rank Sauce uh, among those guys, Michael? Yeah, I mean, to be completely honest, I definitely didn't. I mean, obviously, I had a general awareness of these guys, but I didn't study any of them as closely as Gardner because they weren't really Jets options. But uh, I think Okuda was definitely a very highly regarded and a clear top three, top four pick throughout the entirety of that process. So um, obviously he has not panned out well at all, partially due to injuries. But um, I think he's probably close to what Okuda was. Ramsey was obviously uh, a few years earlier than that, but he was very, very highly regarded. But I think he was better. I think Gardner is better than anyone from last year's class. Um, yeah. J.C. Horn, Sertan, great prospects but I think that's just a testament to how good Gardner is. I mean, the only knock on his resume is the school he played at, which isn't even a huge concern considering they're good enough to get to the college football playoff. And then when they were there, he was up to the competition against uh, now first round pick and Jameson Williams. So uh, it's he, his resume is very, very spotless. And I think he is right up there in the conversation with uh, pretty much any cornerback in recent memory. Yeah, prospect-wise, I think he's the best corner prospect since Jalen Ramsey. Is that? Do you think that's too hyperbole? I, I would have said that before he was a Jet. I think that's fair. Yeah, that we, were, we were saying that. I think yeah. I think you could listen to our episodes, and we'll be pretty honest about that. You won't hear me praising Brees Hall like I did in this episode, but you will hear the Sauce Gardner praise. Yeah, we. I mean, Sauce Gardner is, is a very easy player to love. I mean, you could just see it on the film. You could see it with the fact that he allowed zero touchdowns. The analytics are there. The measurables are there. The mentality's there. I mean, everything is there with Sauce Gardner. Like you said it, Michael, except maybe the school. But it's still like he still went up against arguably the best receiver in the nation and Jamison Williams, and he had a great game against him. So it's, I would say, yeah, he's probably the best prospect since Jalen Ramsey. And hell, I yeah. mean, look, if, if Jalen Ramsey didn't turn into this amazing corner in the NFL, maybe I would have a different opinion. Uh, I'm sure like you, like you said, Jeff Okuda hasn't had a great NFL career. So maybe I'm overlooking him, but it's like, yeah, I would say sauce is a better uh, corner prospect than Stingley, uh, especially the Stingley that came out this year. Maybe Stingley came out two years ago than maybe, 
Um, better corner prospect than Horn, Sertain. Uh, and then Denzel Ward, it's like, I think he's a better prospect than him, who went fourth. But again, that was maybe not a huge surprise, but I think some people were like, oh, Denzel Ward went fourth, where it's like Sauce Gardner, when people really got into it, especially the close we got to the draft, you're like, oh, this guy's, I mean, definitely not making it out of the top 10, but this is a guy who could be a top three pick. Uh, and like to the point where I felt lucky then when he was on the clock, uh, when the Jets are picking at four. Um, uh, for Matt, only Jets won. Would the Jets be playoff contenders in the NFC? What about J- uh, uh, JJ makes him a better prospect in the second round edges? Mafe, Jackson, Abiketti, Bonito, Ajabo. Uh, and then who would you have taken with the fifth round picks we gave up? All right, there's three questions right there. Let's start. Would the Jets be playoff contenders in the NFC? Yes or no? Let's try to, yes. we'll try to hurry this up. I would say contenders is a strong word. I would say they would have a chance at playoffs in the NFC where it's like, it's very hard to see them making the playoffs in the AFC this year. Um, could they maybe, but their chances would be a lot higher in the NFC. And that's not my goal. My goal, honestly, is to finish second place in the division. I think that is shooting high, but still relative, you know, I think that's fairly realistic, but still like a, a you know top shelf goal for this team. Um, what about uh, Jermaine Johnson makes him a better prospect than the second round edges. Uh, I mean, Michael, you laid some of the stuff out when you were talking about him. I mean, his tape this year, like you, you pointed out some of the holes in it. But his tape this year was still top notch. It's not like this is just some some bum off the street with bad pressure numbers and he's, he's 22 or whatever. I mean, there was a reason Jermaine Johnson was talked about as a top 10 pick. Uh, I really like what he showed on tape. I think he is a very clear gap between him and those other guys, uh, Mafe and Jackson, Ebiketti and Benito and Ajabo. But Michael, if you really want to get down to it, what do you think is the main separator from for, for Johnson other than those guys? Is it just his numbers? Uh, is it his, was it his performance at the Senior Bowl? I mean, what really do you think was the difference between him and the, that that second group right there? Well, I think first of all, some of those guys have injury questions, and that definitely played a part uh, part in that. Specifically, Ojabo. Um, I think scheme Jets Jets wise, I think scheme fit is part of it. I think he's a really good scheme fit, and uh, some of these other players like Ojabo again, Benito are uh, more a little bit smaller, more so three, four outside linebacker type players. So I think that's a part of it. The run defense and the floor raising, I think you get from that is huge. Uh, The potential that comes with his athleticism that he showed in testing, which some of these other players do have as well. But I think there's a really good package and there is in terms of the pass rush upside, the win rate, things like that. Um, Legitimate question. And some of these guys did have higher win rates do maybe have, a little bit more complete of a pass rush package coming into the league. But um, I think the completeness of Johnson, the size, length, run defense, um, his motor, uh, I think off field, he's really good in terms of uh, personality and leadership, stuff like that. Um, Senior bowl obviously was a big boost for him. Uh, So I think those are, I think the completeness of his profile is what sort of puts him above some of these other guys. All right. For, oh, and then the last one he said, he said, who would you have taken in the fifth or who would you have taken with a fifth round picture? Give up? I have no freaking clue. And I think if we exactly. learn kind of what That's we were talking, <laughs> kind of what we were talking at the beginning of the episode where we get into the habit every year and it's okay to do this in round one, but once you get to round two and beyond, especially day three, you know, in the mock chops all look like, all right, need, 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 need. And it's just oftentimes the board doesn't fall like that. So who they've taken in the fifth round, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure they every every position could have been on the board outside of quarterback. I could have seen them taking another receiver, even though maybe they don't necessarily need it. I could have seen them taking uh, another you know corner, a safety, a linebacker. Who knows? But 
I'll say this. I'm happy with Jermaine Johnson and, and Brees Hall instead of those fifth round picks. Um, right. Uh, can I get at the NFC question? Oh, did you not answer that? My bad. Sorry. What would the, my bad. I don't think I did ask you, what would the Jets be playoff contenders in the NFC, Michael? Yeah, I do think so. Not, not necessarily title contenders, but they would definitely have a clear, a more clear wild card shot out there. I mean, who are they competing with in the NFC right now? It, it's very thin. I definitely think you could argue they'd be one of the seven best teams in the NFC. There's a huge, uh, huge imbalance leaning towards the AFC right now, which is which is tough for the Jets in terms of competing for a spot this year. But um, yeah, if they're in the NFC, I, I would hope for them to maybe win nine games, get a wild card, which is why I think, you know, you look at their schedule, they've got to do some work with those five NFC games. Between the NFC North and Seattle, I think you want to, they have a shot to win three or four of those. So I, yeah. I think you want to, you know, that's where they're going to get some victories. Yeah. And they, it, like, at the end of the day, if that's what cost them the playoff spot is that their AFC record maybe wasn't as good, but they went, you know, uh, four and one in their NFC games. I think you could be happy with that. I think that, I think yeah. those, that's a really good point you raise is that, you know, regardless of whether or not they would compete in the NFC, take care of business with those NFC games because every other team looks at the Jets on their schedule as a W. Every other fan base will mark the Jets as a W. And the Jets have to do a job, you know, their job this season is to change that narrative and, and start to, to establish themselves as not in the cellar um, of, of NFL teams. Uh, from at Boap01, wouldn't it be cool if Mims is good? It would be very cool. Be very cool if Mims is good. I mean, it, it could, you know, replace Corey Davis and give Zach that, that jump ball threat. He's looking big. They're, you know, Joe Douglas said he's been phenomenal this offseason. We'll see. There, there's some buzz around him. I like that there's some buzz building around him, but uh, we'll see. I'll put it this way. If he's wide receiver number five, he'll get an opportunity. The ship has not sailed on Denzel Mims. Somebody will get hurt. And even, I mean, even not, I mean, I think he'll get his opportunity. Wide receiver five will play, especially when November comes around. Um, so he'll, he'll have another shot as his career is not over. You know, the, the boat didn't pass him by. So uh, we'll, we'll learn who Denzel Mims is this season. Um, from yeah, Adversary, and, you, and you, you almost got a, an up close and personal look at how, um, you know, how, how much he's improved physically this off season. You know, he was, he was in your area. You almost got to oh, see him oh, up close. Yeah. Should, should yeah, we, should we explore again. the story? I, no, I think we, it'd be interesting. We, t- we touched on it a little bit. That yes, they were the, the high school that the, the Jets went to to go work out when they were in Arizona. It was like it was like five minutes away from my house, ten minutes away from my house. So uh, yeah, I was I was you know trespassing on some high school property trying to get a look. And I will say the the only thing I so I found out a few days later from somebody who actually you know worked at the school or whatever um, that they they've been going early in the morning. So I guess that if, if that changes anything, I kind of liked that. Cause I, I think I showed up, you know, I went at like nine in the morning and apparently they were there at like six 37 in the morning. I, part of it's to beat the heat, but I guess it's a good sign that they weren't all out partying and drinking till three in the morning. And then, you know, you know, going at two in the afternoon and filming a few uh, practice reps and then posting that to build hype. But like they were there early working. So I guess there's, that is something to, to take into. To there you account. go. Good journalism. Um, yeah. But no, we couldn't, couldn't necessarily. <laughs> You know, we, yeah, I, I was doing my best to, to guide you where to go. Yeah. I was kind of I was kind of like the the mastermind behind the screen. I was like, if we, if we, OK, maps, if we, if, trying if we, to see the directions. If we really want to get into it, we did call the school. I pretended to be an NFL agent and said that I had players <laughs> <laughs> who are looking to work out. Uh, is the field available? And I kind of mentioned, oh, I know there have been some other players in the field. Are they still there type of thing just to see what they would say? Um, but I didn't really get a direct response. They, they did call me back, but it. 
they were like, oh yeah, you can use your field. And I was like, that ship has sailed. Um, all right. From Matt Herschel Parker, our biggest issue, what can the jets do? What do you think is being done to minimize injuries? Is there a turf problem? Who's accountable? Hey, the numbers are there. The science is there that, that a grass field is definitely better than a turf field. Um, but I don't know if I said the jets just put in that turf in 2020. So I don't know if they're too keen on, on changing it. It's also, you gotta water it and get it in there and to, to upkeep it. And, you know, like grass, it's not like grass is a, is a perfect solution. I mean, especially if you're in a bad climate, I'm not saying there aren't, you know, I think Pittsburgh is a grass field or whatever. Those grass fields can, can take a beating. So I think turf is in the long run, a little cheaper, which is why they go for it. And it looks good and, and whatnot, but yeah, the, the numbers have come out on, on those knee and ligament issues that turf is not great. Um, maybe at the very least. And I, I actually, I think their, their practice facilities are grass fields. Am I, am I outside of the indoor one? I'm pretty sure. I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I'm pretty sure their practice fields are grass. And it's like the jets have had a lot of practice injuries and stuff. So um, I think this was my theory that I raised to Michael before this podcast. This is not, we didn't have a conclusion on this. I said, you know, do you think part of the reason that the jets have had so many injuries uh, that the past few years is because they've been so bad. And, and he was like, well, what do you mean by that? And I just meant like, I, look, I think a lot of injuries are flukes. Like Carl Lawson, that had nothing to do with how good the Jets were. But it's like, all right, well, when you're a worse team, your quarterback takes more hits, you know, your offensive linemen are getting pancaked and they can get rolled up into other offensive linemen, like what we saw with GVR and, and Becton at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, theory, you might avoid more tackles or break more tackles or, uh, you know, we talked to your defense isn't on the field as much if your offense is able to cook. And we had some, some, we ran through Michael raised some counter arguments to, and stuff to that. Um, but you know, maybe youth and inexperience and a low, lower quality of play has led to some more injuries. Maybe that's, that's a working theory. There's no real data behind that outside of the jets and lions were two of the top three, uh, teams on, on the most injured teams last year. And they're like the two youngest and inexperienced teams. Um, I had a whole, I had a whole set of reasonings, but Michael, do you think there's, a, apparently they, they're, they're doing even more work this off season to try to prevent it. I mean, the rookies aren't even doing anything at rookie minicamp, the, the head ones. So any thoughts on yeah. any issues outside of just knocking wood? I mean, I, I saw a quote from Salah where he, uh, he kind of feel, feels like he's scarred from when he was with Jacksonville and Dante Fowler had a major injury in this part of the off season. So it's good to see some caution there. It's not like, there's anything and any big time learning to be done right now. So it's good to see some caution um, in, in terms of your theory. I mean, I think there's some credence to it because I think in a lot of football, like when you perform poorly or lose a rep, it like more pain and more physicality kind of comes with it, you know, like yeah, there's less like technique, said. like it gets a little sloppier. If you're, if your guys are tired, it gets a little sloppy. You know, right. Exactly. Like if, if you're not performing well, it kind of increases injury risk too. Like if your footwork isn't good or again, like the obvious example is O-line gets beat, quarterback gets hit, running back gets hit, stuff like that. You miss a block, the receiver gets hit. You make a bad throw, the receiver gets hit. So there, there is some credence to that, I think. Um, I guess the correlation isn't necessarily there because sometimes there are good teams that get injured. Um, but there is something to that. I guess maybe – playing better could help them to stay healthier but um i I don't know it is an odd phenomenon so i guess you could do as much as you can but sometimes it is just down to luck which is an annoying part of the sport but uh it's good to see at least they're you know trying to take some extra caution and do the most that they can to tilt the odds in their favor because it's hurt them a lot i think it cost them i would say two wins 
last year, as injured as they were. Uh, and obviously that can be the difference between, you know, being a playoff team and being at home. That's true for as much of a, as a letdown as last year felt at times. Um, you know, if Carl Lawson was healthy, I think, I think that's a good point. Well, injuries as a whole. I think that's true. I, we kind of said, you know, maybe this is probably a six or seven win team. This is one of the worst teams uh, of all time. Last year, we're talking about 2020. Um, and we said, we probably said, you know, Hey, if they win six or seven games, we're happy. They ended up winning four, but you're like, you said, the injuries knock that down. You don't always account for that. So when we get to this next question at uh, one end, Dennis, what is a realistic, what is your realistic record prediction for this season? One way too early. Two, we have the schedule coming out next week. We'll have a podcast coming out next Friday. I'm sure that question will get asked. So maybe let's hold off on that answer for now, Michael. But we did see your question, Dennis. Um, uh, but, you know, you know, maybe we should take into account that if, if this is a – I don't want to give any firm numbers. Let's say this is a team that can win eight games. If they get injured, maybe they're only a six-win team. Or if there's a game we see this is, uh, can win nine games, maybe you should factor in that they could lose a game or two more than, you, than you're expecting. Um, but, yeah, it does seem like you look around the NFL, it's like, all right, there are a lot of teams that maybe – like you look at the Bills, like, okay, they lost Tredavious White. That was a big letdown for them. And obviously that was, that was one of the biggest injuries of the year last year. But still, like, all right, Josh Allen doesn't miss any time. Maybe it's just because he's bigger. But it's like those linebackers, those safeties, Stephon Diggs, like none of those guys ever go down. I'm not trying to knock on wood for those guys. I'm not trying to wish for anybody to get injured, but like it does seem like the jets. It's like every single player at least misses a few games every single year. Um, it's like, they never have everything at the same time. I think is the biggest for us. It's one thing to have injuries, but like when you get your three starting receivers on the field together for a grand total of like 11 minutes, the entire season, you kind of feel this way where it's like, all right, I guess Corey Davis is healthy now, but I'd like to see him healthy when Elijah Moore is healthy. And when those two guys are healthy, where the hell is Zach Wilson or, you know, where's uh, Michael Carter or James. It just seems like they're just never all healthy at the same time. Uh, even at the beginning of the season, which sucks. All right, I have two, the, the, no more. Uh, well, actually you have one. And then I had one. Um, I guess we'll start with yours. The, the mini camp rookie Jersey numbers. This is again, there's a, probably a, a more important question coming up after this, but Figure we get to this one first. Uh, some ugly ones in there. How would you how would you rank them? Because they gave Brees Hall number thirty five. I have to be honest. If he doesn't change that, he's going to bust. So he needs to change that number. I think Christian Okoye is the only legitimate thirty five in the entire history of the NFL. Go go find me another good thirty five. They don't exist. So hopefully, it does sound like Sauce Gardner is going to change from twenty. So maybe then Brees Hall can go to twenty. Um, but how would you rank them? What, what are your thoughts on, on the Jersey number? I, there's a segment of this popular, of this fan base that doesn't give a shit about this, but there's definitely a segment of the fan base that does care about this. The aesthetic does matter, Michael. That's why we save it for the end. This is where we get in our, our get off our need to discuss aesthetic things with the jets, whether it's Jersey numbers or the, the jerseys themselves, the logo. The helmets, logo, this is end of the podcast is dedicated to fashion. So if that's not <laughs> your thing, too bad. We're talking about numbers. <laughs> All right. So when these came out, definitely had a negative reaction initially. And I think that mostly it holds for a couple of them. Um, start off with Gardner, acceptable number if he sticks with it, but it does seem like he is going to change. He said, uh, it's a, he said it was kind of likely stay tuned. Um, so it seems like it's going to happen. I want to see him single digit. I think as a slender corner, uh, single digit makes a lot of sense. Uh, also, I'd like to propose a new rule. No more single digit numbers for kickers and punters. Now okay. that it's allowed for other positions, Granted. it's it's too cool 
too cool for kickers and punters. You get your random numbers. B65. That's what you get. All right. So that's my rule proposal. Um, but yeah, I think uh, four is four available. I think maybe some random player had it. Yeah, um, I think I think maybe one of those kickers or something. I don't know exactly, but I know like four Tariq and Black three? still has three. Tariq Black has three. Right. Um, there are a few numbers that are taken. Yeah, but I, I agree with that. Bump. I think Joe Flacco wearing 19 is perfect. He's the perfect player right. you can waste an ugly number on. Exactly. So, like, Mike White, sorry. I know I, I don't see Mike White moving from number five, even though I want to give it to Garrett Wilson, because now that he had that game against Cincinnati, like, there's a good chance. in the Hall of Fame. There's a good – exactly. And there's a good <laughs> chance that that will be the highlight of his entire career. And, in fact, even if he becomes a starter elsewhere, that might still be the highlight of, of his entire career. So, maybe he doesn't want to change from it, you know? Yeah, good luck with it. People bought some Mike White jerseys. I don't know if he's going to change, but like I would say, Mike White, you moved to 14 back to your college number. Joe Flacco, you can stay at 19, the ugliest quarterback number known to mankind. Braden Man, I'm sorry, 49. Um, I, hey, I think punters in the 40s are good, by the way. I think that's a good, it makes them look bigger. It's not bad. Yeah, it does give them more beef, a little more intimidating when you see that. Maybe it takes the returner a little bit. They don't immediately process that it's a punter or right. a kicker. It could be a linebacker or like, a long snapper. Exactly. Oh, I could take this guy. And then, like, boom, he gives you a shot to your knees that's and what... your touchdown is no more. So it, it does have strategic elements to that's it. What, what do you think about Jermaine Johnson and, uh, and Hitman Harris's number? He's wearing 52. You like it? I, I, think, I think it's solid. I, I do think I kind of wanted to see him. I know Vinny Curry is 99, but I like that. I, I like um, I would go 55. Yeah, I feel like 50s is more fitting for like speedy edge rushers. 90s is a little more of a D tackle number though. Um, 11 keeping 11 would have been cool. Uh, I, I don't think edge rusher or defensive linemen are allowed to be in the teens. Uh, they can only be single digits. Um, 52 is solid though if he sticks with it. Um, Garrett Wilson 17. I can go with that one. I think I'm definitely cool with that. Um, pretty solid number I think for him. Uh, but I'd rather, I'd rather like, him wear three. I'd, I want him in three. Yeah, I, I would prefer single digit, but out of these, I think 17, or at least out of the main guys, 17, probably my favorite. I do like it for him. Uh, it's it's my personal go-to number because of my birthday, October 17th. So and so for I think he's worthy of holding that number. More so, than, Edwards. more so than Sharon Peak and Vincent Smith. Um, hey, don't for, slander Braylon Edwards like that. Right. He would be the first one since Braylon Edwards to kind of be worthy of holding it. But of course, the big topic here is Brees Hall and that absolute monstrosity of a 35. So your thoughts (laughs) on that and your suggestion for what he should switch to. They could put Joe Flacco in that number. 35 is not a Brees (laughs) Hall number. 35. Brees Hall should be in 20. He could be in three. He could be in 22 when they cut Michael Pirine. 35 hell even 25 i'm not a huge fan of i like i think i think i think 20 is a great number for Brees hall that's kind of what i'm cheering for 28 was retired for curtis martin he's got to find a new number just put him on 20 or put him in a single digit like hell if he puts on seven or nine which i know they, they retired for for mini camp but one of those one of those numbers in the single digits i wouldn't mind for Brees hall but 35 if he goes into the season with 35 i will agree with all the pff nerds that said he will suck <laughs> They're, they will absolutely be right if he's wearing 35. All right. Last thing, very quickly, Michael, uh, before we get out of here, I know we're almost at like, I think we're like an hour and 20 minutes here. Um, schedule comes out next Thursday. So we'll do a podcast Thursday night that'll come out Friday morning. We'll be doing a whole 
dive into it because we'll have nothing else to talk about, but that's always fun. Love talking about primetime games and, you know, and you, you do, you can start to picture the season, but also like your schedule does matter in the sense that like, it seems like you said this to me that last year, actually, when looking back on it, playing uh, Carolina, New England and, and Denver wasn't actually uh, a horrible stretch, you know, Tennessee and, and Atlanta wasn't actually a horrible stretch. Obviously Tennessee was the one seed, um, but the, the, the first three in particular really got out to, to strong starts this season. Um, you know, you forget that Carolina started three and zero. Denver started three and zero. I think new England started three and Um, So it, it felt a lot harder at the time than it ultimately is looking back, but it does seem like the last few years, the jets have really had a, you know, a hard slate to start their, their schedule. I think part of that is because, you know, the NFL wants good teams playing good teams in December when you get closer to the playoffs and they want those matchups that are going to determine seeding and whatnot. And, you know, you don't want to have the, the 13 and two Baltimore Ravens playing the jets, you know, week 16. Um, that's not always the case. You know, like the jets played the bucks in week 17. It's not always the case, but I do feel like maybe that's part of the reason the jet schedules have been so hard at the beginning of the year is, give a good team, a, a bad team at the, at the beginning of the season, let them get their confidence, not have to waste a, a good, you know, a good matchup in September. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Just like my, my injury theory. Um, but here's my question to you. What are some things that you'll be cheering for uh, during the schedule release? Like what are some things that you positives that you'll be looking to hopefully see or things that, that you'll be happy if you see next week? Well, I think one thing we can all agree on that actually has some logic to it is I think Cleveland early in the season because yeah. of the potential of a Deshaun Watson suspension. I think that'd be big just in case that does come through. You know, I think it makes obviously makes Cleveland a much worse team. So uh, I think that would certainly be helpful. It kind of reminds me of 2016. I think it was when Brady had the deflate gate suspension. We thought we were going to miss them and then it changed and they didn't. So that, that was a bummer, but uh, or I forget what it was. I think they were going to play him in his return game, and then they shortened the suspension. I forget what it was. But, yeah, Cleveland early in the season would be would be nice. I have a couple other things my wish list. I would like to see an, a pretty soft, uh, you know, relatively soft start to the season just to get off to a good start, you know. Yeah, we be can't, able to... we can't, our season can't be over by October. Right. Right. Like, can, can we just be like – two and three, three and five, four and six, like just around the, even though you're not amazing, but like, you're still in it. Like once you're one and seven, like, yeah, I I don't want to be in evaluation mode in October this year. That's all I ask. Not, not the highest expectation. I'm not asking for too much. Just, just give me that. that. Um, Yeah. So in addition to that, I think um, a home primetime game against a winnable team. Because I think that's an opportunity for some fun, you know, have one of those games on prime time and everyone sees the Jets win like 2017 against the Bills. Uh, that kind of game is a lot of fun. So I would like, you know, the Bears, Lions, the Jaguars, give us one of those teams at home on prime time. Let's have a fun game. They don't even have to blow them out because they, I, these teams, you know, they, they've talent too. They probably see the Jets as a win. So Play one yeah. of those teams oh, at home. Every fan base, every go to any other pod about any team. other team. They'll go Jets yeah. win. Every like, yeah, give, give us a home game against an easy team like the Jets. Like that, that's a game you should win. That's fine. That's fine. That perception the is, same thing. That, that perception is going to change this year. That's that's my prediction. But uh, who do you want uh, week one? Is there any team in particular you, you're eyeing for week one? Um, I mean, 
Miami comes to mind immediately, but oh, it, yeah. it's it's like a high ceiling, low floor kind of matchup because you know if you win immediately, you know get that leg up, erase all the talk of the off season with Hill and everything. But if you lose, it kind of is just more salt in the wound. Uh, yeah, it's kind it's kind of like Carol- let's just start like- easy. Let's just start easy. Give me give me Detroit at home. Uh, I could see that. I think. I think the NFL likes to go for storylines week one, try to find 16 That's different storylines. Yeah. Uh, Miami would be very similar to Carolina last year. Not as much, but in the sense that you're right, there is a bit of high drama week one where it's like, Oh, if you lose it, it not that it sets the, the, the standard for the rest of the season. As we saw, Sam Darnold looks, he actually didn't look that good in that game, but Sam Darnold got off to a good start in the season. Then he all fell apart and you don't really know, but up until that point, week one always feels so massive. So if there's a big emotional investment, like, you know, the Jets playing the Dolphins, both teams have had good off seasons, you know, who is going to try to ascend to be, to beat, you know, to go up there with the Patriots and the bills and they lose that. You're right. But if they win that, it's, you know, it's wind underneath your sails for the rest of the season. Uh, I would say I want either Jackson. I want a home game week one. We haven't had it the last few years. I think it's like four of the last five we've been on the road. So home game week one, please. Um, and yeah, I want, I want a winnable game. So like the Jags, the Jags at home, I think there's a storyline there. You got Trevor versus Zach Wilson, that easy money right there. Uh, or the dolphins. I would love the dolphins. Maybe, maybe here's best of both worlds. Open up home game, hope opener against the, the Jags and whatever you have, you know, weeks two or, but when you get to like week three or week four, a Monday night football or a Thursday night football home primetime game against the dolphins early in the season would be awesome. That would be nice. the stealth yeah. black uniforms. Like, because I, I want I want the matchup with the Dolphins kind of early in the year to really kind of have that battle. But you're right, week one maybe you want a little little bit of a softer matchup uh, in, in the Jaguars, the Lions, or something like that. But again, we will be back next Friday. Uh, Actually, before let me let me throw in one more wish. Okay. Here. Okay. This is a little ambitious, but Sunday I night? think I I want to see. No, I'm not that crazy, but <laughs> we're not there yet. Um, <laughs> but I I would like to see. I want to see them get one of those late in the season road primetime games against a good team. Usually these are big blowouts for the Jets, the Ravens 2019. Um, the they've had a few other. Uh, that is the main one I could think of. <laughs> they, okay. Um, they, had the, they had the Cowboys at the end of 2015. They had right. in 2016. They had uh, 2016. That wasn't late in the season, but Arizona big blowout on primetime. Um and then 20, so wait, let me uh, get this straight. Let me get this straight. So you want a home prime time against an easy team and then a, right, early yes. in the season. And then you want to wear whatever. And then you want a, a late season road game against a good team. Yes. Doesn't mid to late like Colts last year. There's another example. Um, I was trying to, I know I, there were some of these, I didn't have them at the top of my brain, but Ravens 2019 Colts last year. Um, Cause I want them to have this chance to, they don't even have to win this game, but just be competent. Because how many times do we see them? Oh, oh I, get, I get what you're saying. It's like the yearly right. Super Bowl for us. Right. It's like, like how right, many this... times do we see this pointless primetime game where it's just an immediate blowout? You're like sitting here. Why am I watching this for two and a half hours? Like, let, let's go play a real team in the spotlight with stakes and play them strong. And I, I know we don't want moral victories anymore. Maybe go beat them, but just, just play them good. That's what I want to see. Okay, so I get. I that. want them. To, I want them to have that opportunity late in the season, in addition to playing one at home. All right. Well, that'll do it for us. Uh, you can follow us at TYJ Pod on Twitter. Michael at Michael underscore Nania. Myself at Ben W Blessington. Go to JetsXFactor.com for the best place to go for Jets content. As I said, we'll be back next Friday. 
breaking down the schedule release. Michael, last thoughts. So I guess some options for that, probably like Denver, some 2011 Tebow <laughs> vibes. Um, Pittsburgh maybe is an option for that. No, I, I don't, that I'm not that scared of – we're going to have a whole schedule breakdown. But I don't want to get too into it, but I guess this is more of like a predictive thing. The I would say like what's a good team that they could play on prime time? Like the Bengals. I mean, hey, they beat them last year. Uh, I don't want to play the Bills in prime time. The Patriots would be good. Patriots would be good because they're they're probably viewed as a good team, but I, I know what you, they're not maybe in a, you know as talented as they used to be. But, How about a know. Monday Night Jets Dolphins game that has some classic. That's what, I want. I want a, a Monday Night Jets Dolphins game home. Rivalry has some more spice than the past few years. I would say. I, I think the Thursday they'll definitely get a Thursday night game. Um, so I could definitely see the Thursday night game. I, I would prefer a Jets a Dolphins Monday night football game and maybe a Thursday night game against the Bears or something, you know. But I, I, I know you want that good team, so I'm trying to think of like a, a you know, a good. It's like, I think it's like Minnesota, all right, maybe like Minnesota Thursday night game. The Packers. <laughs> Packers. Yeah, a lot of t- I don't want to get curb stomped on national TV. I guess I want to fit. Like, I think the Colts that's last year. That's the point year- of this game to okay. erase that mentality. All right, that's true. All right, fine. Give us the Ravens. You got to have that Sauce Gardner mentality. We're here that's to true. change the reputation. Doesn't that's matter true. what happened. Okay, the then out of all those, the, the best one would be the Packers because there's like the Sala LaFleur storyline, the Rogers Wilson story. You know, you could, you could probably Carl Lawson revenge game, as you said to me before the pod. So yep. if, you, if you have to choose one of those teams, I guess give us Green Bay. And who knows? Maybe Green Bay won't be as good as they were last year. You never know. Um, all right. I guess I guess Green Bay is the team for, for that for that game. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Um, I know we're still in shock from that from that draft class. Um, just fill your time watching Brees Hall highlights and dunking on nerds on Twitter who say it was a bad trade up. Uh, and we'll be back. I'm, I'm not in that group, by the way. Not I'm, in that. I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm also dunking on that. <laughs> Michael has put up the white flag. You don't need to bully him anymore. Um, Everybody have a great week. Go Jets.